We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 453 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me again from the Liga Lowdown is their Barcelona correspondent, Roman de Arquer. How's it going, Roman? Going good. Um, happy the league is back, of course. The international break wasn't great for Spain, we could say, so I uh, was looking forward to seeing how Barca would perform. And I was a bit a bit worried, I'd say, because, of course, uh, Elche had a new manager. Barca, after international breaks, tend to play worse. Uh, we had all those injuries, etc., so I wasn't sure how the game would pan out. But in the end, three more points uh, to add to the bag and, of course, uh, keeps the gap with Real Madrid, which is very important. Yeah, usually I try to say, hey, you know, looking at recent form, at changes in a manager, at however a Liga team may be coming to a matchup against Barcelona, don't ever take your opponent for granted. But, Roman, I have to say, this time around, even with a new manager, yes, Barcelona coming back from, you know, the FIFA virus, of course, Christensen goes down, and they always have that trap game. I mean, Elche stunk before, Elche stunk during, Elche will likely stink afterwards, and they're going down to the Segunda Division. In, I mean, what is what was an historically difference in the points in the table between those two teams? I mean, I, I think I'd read that we had never seen Barcelona, who were up by 12, and mm. Elche, who were down in 20th, behind 19th place by 13 points. I mean, it's just, it's just miraculous how far apart those two were in the table. And, you know, that's where we begin, because... There are things we're going to talk about today. Eric Garcia, the goal scorers, Anansu and Farron and Lewandowski. And we'll talk about the youngsters. But the overall performance on whether or not Barca actually played well in a 4-0 win on the road against Elche. I, I think there were there was definitely a consortium of people who said that they weren't very impressed by the way that Barca went about the progressions. The way that if not for Cardona falling, and then I think it was Fidel later on in the second half. If they don't trip on what was that sheet of ice on the right side, on Alba's side of the field, then Barcelona, I mean, might be in, depending on when those shots also potentially go in, or if Elche were able to get a counterattacking goal at that moment, that the game is entirely different, as well as Omar Rachel and Edgar Badia. You knew that Edgar Badia was going to stand on his head, get a few, get a few denials, get a few chances, take mm-hmm. back to that Koundé shot. And it seemed like Elche, they had the formula if you will, to figure out Barcelona, they just severely did not have the talent. So I think, I think that's why the argument people are making is that 
Barcelona did not play that well because, again, the minute you raise the talent just a little bit on Elche's side, tactically, they might have found themselves in a world of hurt, that being Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, the talent and also I'd say also the, the mot- motivation because, of course, it is Barca coming uh, to your home, but you're not really fighting for nothing, you know, because I, they're practically, uh, well, they are going to get relegated. It's, it's a fact, even though a number still give them hope, but it's, it's impossible seeing the situation they're in, how they've been playing during the whole season. They've had maybe certain moments of decent football, but that's just really uh, hasn't really lasted very long. And uh, in the end, Barca... Uh, were the clear favourites. I was I was saying before, I was slightly worried because, of course, the international breaks, we know that Barca tend to have lots of players playing minutes and they arrive a bit more tired. Also, the fact that we had so many uh, setbacks in terms of players injured and, and even Rafinha being suspended. So, I mean, we know that Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati aren't going through the best moment. So, you know, there were a few questions and doubts and you never know, maybe the, the Barca might relax a bit, taking into account they'd just beaten uh, Real Madrid in the league, you know, and opened up the gap and maybe they, th- they thought it, it was all over. So, for me in the end of course it wasn't a spectacular game it wasn't a great game by Barca it was just uh, getting the job done basically you know Uh, they did what they had to do which was score the goals and get the three points the first half was maybe a bit more dull as you said Elche did have their opportunities it could have gone a bit both ways but then after the first goal you could tell that Elche were going to struggle to come back from that and the second half we just uh, finished off the game with three more so in the end calm game not not great to watch I would say but in the end uh, what Barca needed were three points because I'm sure that Xavi had many eyes set on the Clásico that's going to be played uh, shortly in the Copa del Rey of course. Yeah I agree on on all those points that yeah they did feel kind of like all right well what's going to happen for all Clásico midweek and I do feel like coming away from 4 nothing with the opportunities of failure, we'll say, that, that Barcelona had, that to get the 4 nothing win, keep everybody healthy, kind of go through the motions on the road, and now you can put all eyes on Wednesday on El Clasico. And there were some experimentations and things like that. So, I, I mean, you're looking at just how historic when Barcelona had been on their game in the Liga this season, they've been. Obviously, currently the team with the most goals in the Liga with 53, the least scored against with nine, Top goal scorer in the league, Lewandowski. Goalkeeper with the fewest goals, obviously, with Ter Stegen. They also, at the at the moment, had had the best assist man, that being Lewandowski, who was tied with Griezmann and Moreno, that Mikel Moreno of Real Sociedad. And making history, obviously, with every defensive effort, becoming the first team in the Liga history to reach 20 clean sheets after just 27 rounds. And so when you expect that LJ game and say, okay, when Barcelona have that week off. They don't have to worry about Real Madrid and they're preparing for five to six days for the Liga matchup. Then they generally do have even better numbers. Now, the things that Barcelona will say, again, could struggle with here when you ask about the raising of the the, the talent, we'll say, of your opposition, there, there are two mm-hmm. numbers that jump out to me that Barcelona will say put out on the table. Was that one yesterday, Barcelona playing with the third highest defensive line in Europe on the season with a 50.58 meter on average. I mean, that being up the field from their own goal up the field. You know, when you start a back line, of course, of Alba and Alonso and of, well, yeah, but Araujo and Kunde as well, you do give up a little bit of something out on the break, but Araujo, as sturdy as ever, healthy, just fine. Kunde was also, I'd say, pretty good yesterday as well. Alonso didn't really make any mistakes, and Alba's going to have his moments, but as long as he delivers that final ball to Lewandowski for the first goal, and you don't complain about Jordi Alba is basically the way I see it. And then when you're making so many changes, and I think here's where we kind of start to transition into the Eric Garcia stuff. When you make so many changes, functionally, the way your team not only attacks is going to change, but the way that they defend is going to change as well. Mm-hmm. So Barcelona yeah. on the season, 
third most frequent pressers in all of Europe. So we'll say they have the third strongest pressing attack with nine PPDA, which is the number of passes an opposing team's defense makes before any defensive action, such as a tackle, an interception, a foul is made by the team out of possession. So the lower that number is, that's indicative of the more often a team is pressing. So with just nine PPDA, that means nine passes, nine things are happening before Barcelona are all over their opposition. And so you might see throughout Europe, there are some with a 25 PPDA. There are some with even a, I, I think 32 was one of the higher ones I saw. And, you know, those are for teams that are going to sit in that aren't really trying to get the ball off the opposition. They're kind of just like waiting for it to happen. And they wind up seeding a lot of possession. And then they go to try to break out on the counterattack. So Barcelona are pressing very heavily. And when you make so many of those institutional changes against any opponent, even Elche, who's a Segunda division side, if you're going to make those number of changes, that number is obviously going to be up. Now, I haven't been able to see what that number is just yet to compare that number, but I can tell you that it felt like in that game that nine would have been a bit too low. Like Barcelona's pressing triggers were working a bit slower because, again, you're starting a midfield three for the first time with a midfielder you're starting for the very first time. Again, that's not your regular back line. And then between Lewandowski, Ansu, and Ferran Torres, I think the intention and the work rate was there, but as we continue to see the confidence and the movement in that first half with it with the front three the pressing numbers are not with the same intensity and ferocity as it is and a lot of those pressing actions also are made by Gabi and that was kind of the counter argument to that that Gabi playing in that free role midfielder role in front of Roberto and Garcia I think worked out great as far as for making sure that Elche were never truly comfortable in possession yeah I have to agree with what you're saying I mean I was going to actually mention Gabi because I kind of thought like he was doing a lot of that dirty work and kind of trying to compensate for maybe the lack of, of pressing and, and intensity other players were um, putting on the field against Elche, of course. So, I mean, that's why Gabi is just so fundamental for us. I mean, here in Barcelona, Barcelona sorry, here in Spain, he's being criticized a lot for being a very hard, tough player, maybe too tough at, at sometimes. But, um, but I mean, uh, Barca have done well, I think, when they've had a similar profile, which hasn't been too often. I think it kind of helps break a bit you know, the, the usual profile of a player that, that Barcelona has. And in terms of the other players you're mentioning also, I, you can tell that Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, they do try, they do um, try and provide and, and, you know, make an effort. But uh, again, I think a player like Rafinha on the right wing uh, does a lot more defensively than maybe Ferran or, or Ansu will do themselves. So as you said too, lots of changes in the lineup, different style. Also, we, Barca have been playing a lot with a 4-4-2 lately and this game they went back to the 4-3-3. So again, lots of um, things uh, and, and the players have to adapt to, I guess, changing also coming from their national teams, playing one way. Uh, in the end, you've got a lot of stuff in your head and sometimes maybe you don't perform to the level you're expected to. And especially when it's a team like Elche, or you expect to be a very weak team, you think that maybe you won't have to give your 100% with your 75% you might be, uh, you might have enough. So I guess all those factors kind of alter this a bit. But hopefully against uh, Real Madrid, we'll see the best version of, of Barcelona in that aspect because we're going to need to, to press high, strong and, and be very coordinated and, and, you know, with our minds on the field because any any small mistake against Madrid can mean a counterattack, which can obviously end up in a goal. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, to, to Gabby's point, he had created the most chances in the game when he came out, completed the most dribbles, and he had won the most duels with 11. And, you know, just kind of watching that game, you felt like those things were true. And then obviously the numbers backed it up that, yeah, Gabby was severely influential, even more so than it felt. Because again, because like I was watching Eric Garcia, right? I'm watching Ansu. Like you're really, your eyes are on the players that are in the news, that are doing new things, that you're kind of trying to figure out and break down the X and O's for. So yeah, Gabi was absolutely excellent when you take that macro view on the entire game. Again, that I think that free-running midfield role in front of Roberto and Eric really just supported him and suited him to this level against LJ. Can you ask him to do those things, as in have the most dribbles? And well, yeah, the, the duels thing is it's just Gabi. But can he, you know, can he create the most chances against higher-level opposition? Not yet. But again, very much like Eric Garcia was the experiment. I think having Gabi as your attacking midfielder, if you will, in a 4-3-3 and kind of putting him back in the midfield as opposed to being that inside forward in that four-man midfield block and kind of giving him more of the keys to the midfield castle. I thought that I, I think Gabi kind of stepped up to the occasion that was Elche. And I think those, as far as, you know, we felt like Eric Garcia was just the experiment. But again, Gabi in that kind of role was also a bit of an experiment. And he certainly races game to that occasion. So before we get to Roberto, I do want to do Eric Garcia. And before I give my two cents, Ramon, I have to ask you whether you want to grade it between A, B, C, D, F, or whether you want to give him a, a, a one to 10. And again, it is just LJ, right? I, I keep kind of reiterating that LJ, here's another stat of why they stink. Barcelona have collected five times as many points as LJ in the league of this season, 71 to 13. LJ have conceded five more times as many goals as Barcelona in the league of this season. 55 to 9. So yes, LJ stink. Eric Garcia's tryout came against LJ. And again, if Xavi is going to choose a game <laughs> to have Eric Garcia do something new and doesn't want to have him lose confidence in that, you have to do it against LJ. But again, it's like that argument where it's like, yeah, but it was only against a team that's already going to be relegated. So how much can we really extrapolate from that? I'm not sure, Roman. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so how would you grade Eric Garcia's performance against LJ kind of on the LJ curve, if you will? 
Well, I mean, uh, it's it's hard to, to evaluate. It's also the first time we've, we've really seen him there. And as he said, and you reiterated, it's against Elche. So, I mean, of course, you can't really draw too many conclusions, honestly. Um, I guess I'll give him a B because of the t- context of the game, because I was saying before, lots of changes. I keep <laughs> insisting, sorry, in the international break, etc. I mean, he had an important role taken into account that Busquets was, not, was resting probably for the Clásico. So, I mean, he did a good job. Uh, of course, uh, as you, we said it again and again, Elche aren't a very strong team, aren't a team that's going to press too high or, or, or take the ball off of uh, any Barcelona player with, with too much uh, ease. So in that sense, uh, it was maybe quite a placid game, we could say, for A. Garcia. And in the end, the real test would be against a strong side. I mean, until we don't see Eric in that circumstance, I don't think we can really know for sure whether he's going to be uh, a good fit for this position in the future because I mean it's true that we know that uh, Eddie Garcia has a good control of the ball he has a good passing we, c- we can see when he's playing as a center back where he likes to make some runs forward and try some uh, long passes between the lines to try and break those lines of course and, and find his teammates and, and he does that really well sometimes and I think it's a uh, in that new position in the midfield, I think he could uh, develop that a lot more and, and pr- provide or, or prove to be a useful player. But uh, again, uh, it is Elche. We have to really insist on this because, again, again if he starts the, that position against uh, Real Madrid, which won't be the case, I'm sure we'll see so many more flaws and maybe we won't ever consider him again for that. So we'll have to wait and see if Xavi gives him other opportunities or if he's just going to maybe not rely on him for important games in that position and, and he'll just be, you know, a sub-centre-back for now. Yeah, I found myself, when trying to evaluate his performance, kind of stuck in this... Not, I understand, I just made the argument about the, you know, I'll say stinks, how, how good was Eric Garcia against Elche argument. But I think the other one was actually about, about what the function of Xavi's Barcelona against low blocks is and what we could have expected or should have expected out of Eric Garcia. So against those low blocks, looking back and thinking about it and looking at my own notes... When they do face that being Barcelona against a low block, you know, I was wondering in that first half, why is Ter Stegen and Alonso and Alba and even Araujo once had the confidence to do this? And Kunde, why is that back line bypassing Eric in the midfield? Is it because they don't trust him? Is it because he's not putting himself, is he not showing to the ball well enough? Like he was dropping in deep, sure. So they would give it to him with those short passes for a little bit of progressive buildup, but not too much. They really were looking to get to Ansu, who was tucking into the central lane. They were either trying to find him. They were getting Lewandowski out to the wing. They were getting Lewandowski in the middle, or they were trying to get up to Ferran Torres on the right side, a little bit less than they were looking for Ansu and Lewandowski. But the point is, they were trying to bypass the midfield with some long passes, and that is functionally what Xavi tries to do with the low block. So that's one of those things where you don't really blame Eric as much as you say the function of what Xavi wanted to do against the opposition was as such. And so Eric's job was to bring himself down and drag that first line of LJ forwards to create space in for those long balls. And it worked to good effect. And Barcelona were getting those long balls in and they were going quickly back upfield. And as I had mentioned the pressing stats earlier, that once they're in the opponent's third, you know, I, I think those pressing actions were a bit slower than they are normally. And you can expect that. I said, you've mentioned the international break. And then I think the chain of personnel was important there too. And so I felt like, as I promised to do on the five headlines, the way I wanted to compare this match of Eric's against someone like Busquets would be compare Eric's match against Elche with a similar Busquets match from earlier this year. So what I went with was the 4 nothing win over Cadiz back in September. And I did look at my notes and I was like, kind of the same sentiment that they won 4 nothing, but I was like, eh, something was missing. Like they weren't great, but they took care of business 4 nothing. Cadiz at that moment also were in 
a terrible run of form. Not that they've been much better, but they really were at like, arguably their lowest point in the season. They really stumbled out of the gate. So Barcelona smacked them for nothing in kind of a similar performance. And what I found was actually quite interesting. And Ramon, I said to you before we started recording, I love <laughs> when my stats back up my own opinion. It is the best thing. It always works out. So Eric against LJ had 69 touches, one interception, three blocks, 51 to 57 passes for 90%, five progressive passes, and, and 37 carries in the game. Busquets had 74 touches against Cadiz, so five more touches, one interception, same number, zero blocks, so that's three less blocks, 52 of 61 passes, so he completed one more pass, of, but he also attempted 16 less, so, and that was only 85% for him. And then he had seven progressive passes, which is two more than Eric did, and he had 26 carries, 11 less. So I felt like those numbers, you just you just read them out. Like they're so similar in the performance that Busquets functionally had against Cadiz, who were playing that same low block that Elche did, and who were in the same awful run of form, though again, Elche have, have, have met new standards, that Eric did against against Elche. So I, I just found that to be very interesting, that functionally the what Eric was asked to do was the same job that Busquets was asked to do against a similar opponent in a similar circumstance, and he did a very similar job. And so I think that is probably the best compliment I could give Eric, that he did the job that he was expected to do from, from Xavi. And you would have to say that, all right, you're right. Like, I think he earned the opportunity to see it against a, an opponent that's a little bit better. What is that next level? I think that might that next level could be a Girona, which is <laughs> right up on the schedule. And I know Xavi's going to throw him right in the fire with that. But I would also argue that I think if you're Xavi in Barcelona, you know, there's one thing to... We'll talk about the teenagers later, but there's one thing to say, hey, what do we have from this 18 or 19-year-old in the in the U19s or Barca Athletic? And it's another thing to say, hey, we have this player that we might want to sell in the summertime that is definitely not one of our top four center backs, that is fifth on the depth chart there. So if he's going to stick around, he's got to have very much like why Sergio Berto signed that renewal. Same thing with Alonso, why he signed the renewal. If you're going to have a player that you're going to keep around for next season, I think he's got to be multi-positional, multifunctional. And I think Barcelona do want to know if he could handle that job for what, six to seven matches even next season. And that's really all you're asking of Eric Garcia as the pivot. You're saying, Hey, can you play, especially if Busquets renews, can you play six to six, six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 matches. If Busquets goes down, you know, he is in his mid thirties next year. Well, this year too, but you know, he is in his mid thirties. He might go down with some kind of injury, keep him out a few weeks. Can Eric do that job in his stead? So I think you do want to see that. So I don't know. I, I would say that there are matches left in the Liga, especially when you're up by 12 points, to kind of throw them out there and see this thing again. But And I think, as I said, my verdict is that he earned the opportunity to do that. No, definitely. I mean, he, he deserves another shot. Uh, as you said, possibly a team which is slightly better mid-table. La Liga, Girona could be uh, an interesting one, although that will require probably a lot of defensive task for him because of course uh, we know that Girona likes to counter they're quick they're pacey and they're very offensive so uh, there are diff definitely a different profile uh, we could say compared to Elche aside from it's true that they're also kind of a low block they also like to defend the back but then I think they're way more dangerous uh, offensively than uh, Elche but yeah I mean he deserves a shot of course it's hard to compare him with Busquets aside from the numbers you give which obviously are very accurate and and proves that he did a similar job but we know that Busquets can step up when he has a strong rival in front of him and we'll have to see what circumstances Barca are in in the league, of course, at that, at that point, because 
um, now, of course, you said comfortable 12-point gap. Uh, we can allow ourselves to maybe uh, try a few uh, different things. But if we drop points here and there and the, the situation gets a bit more complicated, we know that Xavi won't take any risks. He'll go for the usual. Okay. Uh, so we'll have to see. And it's true that Busquets at the moment could continue a year. We have to see what's going to happen because they're, they're deciding on whether he's going to renew or not. I've heard reports saying that he's waiting on Messi because if Messi comes, he would like to continue one more season. But if Messi uh, doesn't make it to Barcelona in the end, he'll, he might decide to move on to MLS or, or elsewhere. So we'll have to see what happens with Busquets. That's also an interesting point for the future. Yeah, then the third man in that midfield was Sergio Roberto. And I have to give compliments to Roberto. I thought you know, again, against LJ, but it was one of Roberto's better midfield performances, I thought. I think his verticality next to Eric Garcia, I, I think, if anything, actually calmed Eric down a little bit. And he did play, being Roberto, was asked to play that De Young role, to, to be vertical, to carry the ball when necessary, and to also step back and do a two-man pivot at times when Barcelona were going for the slower buildup. And I thought he did all of that in a very disciplined way. I thought he was, he barely put a foot wrong, was where he needed to be. And just judging from that performance, I would actually not say that I'm comfortable. Obviously, De Young to Roberto is, is quite a step down, but I'm a little more comfortable starting Roberto against Real Madrid than I was, we'll say, even prior to that match. I think Roberto, if you're going to say, hey, he's riding this high of midfield confidence to start against Real Madrid and El Clasico, and we know he does decently play better against Real Madrid seemingly than everybody else, then <laughs> I would put a little bit of trust in Roberto in that way. Now, another player that we'd hope to play well against Real Madrid midweek would be, as we begin to talk about the goals that were scored, Ansu and Ferentores, of course, that's the thing we'll get to. But Lewandowski, believe it or not, he also broke his own drought. It was the first time going into that game that he had gone five games, counting Barcelona and Poland over the international break, without scoring a goal in five years. It had been five years since he had gone five professional games, both club and international, since he had scored a goal, which is, again... Pretty incredible. Like most players would dream of having that kind of drought, but it's Robert Lewandowski. So for him to score the two goals he did, both of them, I think not to say we're comfortable, but Araujo with a terrific, what was it? Well, not a cutback, but a knockdown, if you will, on that set piece from Jordi Alba. Lewandowski was where he needed to be. Kind of could have fluffed it, but he didn't. He found, found the back of the net on the first goal. And then the second one, Kunde, great job stepping. I mean, this is awful by Elche. They just made changes. And before they could get into their new formation and figure it out, Kunde steps to the middle. Gabi picks up the interception, feeds Lewandowski, and Lewandowski, you know, he has to kind of score that one. But it was a nice drag to get the goalkeeper committed. Edgar Badia kind of had Barcelona's number for the last two seasons. And once Badia had committed, then Lewandowski found where he needed to get it in, scores the goal. Again, it's tough because it's Elche. But in the same regard, I'm happy Lewandowski again is able to get two goals and can kind of push forward because as much as we say Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres are struggling for confidence, I think there is something about saying, well, Lemmy Lewandowski, he might have a little bit of doubt. Like he might, for the first time, we think of him as, you know, he has the perfect diet. He has the perfect training regiment. He has the perfect physical and mental preparations for these matches at this point. His teammates lift him up as saying, this guy is more prepared than anybody else. But there might be something to be said that coming back from the World Cup with the numbers that he has had, he has not found his best form since then. And I think at his age, yeah, I think there are there are moments that you might have some doubts creeping in. And I'm just hoping that these two goals kind of say, hey, okay, I'm Lewandowski. No doubts heading into El Clasico. 
Well, yeah, the, the difference here is that for me, Lewandowski has the experience. So I think he's been through this situation many times. And at this age, I think it's not as much a psychological factor to him as it can be maybe for to Ansu or to Ferran or to all, all these other younger guys who still you know, have to uh, learn how to live with these kind of situations when you're struggling to score. Uh, but for me, the key here, I'd say, is, is a matter of form. I kind of feel like... Uh, Lewandowski, of course, you know, he's uh, mid-30s, he's getting older every year. It's true that now players, we all know that, outlast the situation and they can play longer and, and they stay healthier, etc. But uh, there was a World Cup, as you mentioned, in between. And in that sense, I do think that that has to have affected uh, Lewandowski in a way, because in the end, it's true that they don't play that many games, but you're going to a new country, you're in a new, different atmosphere, much more, you live much more, with much more intensity, I'd say. So, of course, I think that kind of, Provides some sort of fatigue in the end. And since he came back from the World Cup, he wasn't uh, looking as sharp uh, this start of the year. And he has struggled, especially away, where he wasn't really getting those goals. And, and yeah. for him to get two uh, brace, I think it's, it's, it's really important, you know. And as you said, uh, this is really good uh, looking ahead towards that Clásico, especially because uh, he has been struggling maybe to score against the stronger rivals, as we saw it in the Champions League this season. And we've seen it also in the Clásicos, where, he, you know, uh, we need a bit more from Lewandowski. And he had a really good start to the season. He looked fantastic. You know, connecting really well, coming down to help. But then it felt like in these last few months, he kind of disconnected a bit from that midfield, from the wingers. He wasn't really finding his his fit in 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 Chabi's lineup. And I think for him to be more involved in that game against Elche and to again score those goals was was definitely uh, key. And I hope that uh, really gives him the extra little bit of confidence he might have needed, knowing that Lewandowski. I'm sure he trusts himself uh, in a 99. percent So. Uh, hopefully now he'll have a a good good game against Real Madrid, even if it isn't scoring. Hopefully, you know, combining being there, being present, showing he's uh, one of the team leaders and he can help uh, the squad uh, move forward. Well, Roman, that was the easy one. Here's the much much harder question here. Ansu <laughs> Fati yesterday, yes, he got the goal. Yes, he played in April for the very first time in his Barcelona career because of between COVID and being injured and being injured and. Having his difficulties, this is the first time he's ever played in April. So that's a big milestone. But against Elche, did Ansu Fati play well? No. If I'm going to be honest, I would not say he played well. Uh, that first half was the usual Ansu Fati we'd been, we'd been seeing in the last uh, previous games where he's lacking a lot of confidence. You can even see when he's giving a pass or shooting the ball that he's kicking the ground before hitting the ball. You know, that's kind of... Uh, shows that Ansu's not there and because we know Ansu has so much quality he can perfectly curl a ball past a goalkeeper past a defender whatever we've seen him score numerous wonder goals and the fact that he's so consistently uh, struggling to make things work kind of shows where he is but at the same time I do think that he did score a lovely goal of course in that second half all the credit to him and hopefully that can help him move a bit past this situation because for me it's it's uh, 90% 90% in the head of course his injuries have set him back a bit and he's maybe not as quick or pacey as he was maybe he doesn't have the same reactions etc but I don't think that's the real motive for me it's, it's it's in his mind and he has to get past that to to show his true quality because he still has it he can still be a very relevant and important player to Barcelona but at the moment we've all been seeing how he's really struggling his parents or his dad came out to speak a few days before on the radio in, in, in Spain and saying that he was very unhappy with the situation, how Barca were treating him, barely giving him minutes, etc. But I mean, 
the dad has to understand that Ansu Fati, you know, he's, he's not really playing at the level Barca require him to. And Ansu himself apparently said after to Xavi in the club that he didn't agree with his father's words and that he really wants to succeed at Barca and he he's glad for the opportunities and, and he's going to try his best, you know. And he did that in the game against Elche, which came right after. He scored a goal, even though, as I said, his first half was pretty poor. What, what the, the conclusion, sorry, uh, he's going to take from that is that he can still score, he can still be there, he can still try and be relevant. So hopefully... As I said, he'll get past the psychological things that are dragging him back because I think that Ansu Fati has to succeed. Although um, we had a pod uh, the other day in La Liga Lowdown and I also said that today, if I had to say whether to sell or not Ansu Fati, I'd sell him at the moment because he still has a certain value. Barca, we know, needs to sell desperately, needs to lower wages and uh, Ansu Fati uh, would be a solution uh, to help in that aspect. So hopefully he'll... uh, change my mind in the next uh, games coming up until the end of the season and, and we can finally keep him. But as it stands, I think Ansu's not giving the level Barca require. Yeah, and I think that one goal can be more to Ansu than it is to Lewandowski or to even Ferran Torres because you could see what that goal meant. And again, we've, we've been talking about this whole Elche thing the whole time. Maybe Elche in their defensive transition helped him to score that goal. I mean, it was a good goal. He carried it 65 yards against anybody. It doesn't matter. But I think the significance of putting the ball in the back of the net, he needed that against the opponent did his matter, right? Like he needed that more than anybody else did. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to galvanize him. He's going to score a brace on Wednesday coming off the bench, or he's going to score next weekend or whatever. But it was his first Liga goal since October. It was only his second goal as a starter under Xavi. Like that, that number is even more surprising to me because Xavi has been around since November of 2021. And that was just Fadi's second goal. Now, again, he has been injured the for Xavi's first season and he has not been starting much so it's like if he's only started that was his 12th start this season that means it's a small sample size but still like a shocking number that Ansu Fati has only scored two goals as a starter on a Xavi even like in Copa del Rey or, or against lower opponents so that goal could really be important for him and his confidence because we're mentioning like it's not even about for Lewandowski it's like production like what have you done for me like can you score those goals and you don't really about, worry about or consider anything else. But for Ansu, it is about putting the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, I was concerned about the number of times he was... I, I don't need to read the numbers again. I did it on the five headlines. The number of times he was dispossessed in the first half. And the same thing with the second half. The fact that he had no dribbles attempted in the first half. The fact that he had no key passes in the first half. The fact that he had no shots on target. Those are all worrisome signs. But again, the same way I think about function. Very much like I talked about Eric Garcia. Ansu's job was a switch with Lewandowski make Lewandowski available on the wing for those long outlets. And Ansu did that. Like, I think he worked pretty tirelessly, not only in the pressure, but in the buildup as well to make himself an outlet. And those are the little things that I look for. Like, is he doing what Xavi's asking him to do? Because those things are more important than, well, again, scoring goals is important, but those things are more important than, you know, is Xavi upset that he lost the ball? And where did he lose the ball? Like, those are always the questions. And I felt like yesterday, Ansu did at least lose the ball in a situation where he never put Barcelona in trouble. And even when he did lose the ball, he went back and he worked hard. And like half the time, he helped to get it back, which is what Barca did, you know, due to Gavi. And again, Gavi will get the stat and Ansu won't get the stat. But I think I give him like a pressure assist, which is not a real stat, but I would give him credit for working hard and trying to win the ball back once he lost it because he was losing it basically in the places where Xavi said, all right, well, if you're going to lose it, lose it up there because we're going to pressure, we're going to get it back. We're going to try to counterpress, and we're going to try to put Elche on the back foot. So, Ferran Torres also got a goal. 
But unlike Ansu, it was a good goal as well. Good job by Kessie and Ansu to kind of, we'll say, the, the flying V formation and to help open up those spaces. But the diagonal ball from Lewandowski, also, I don't want to overlook that. A really good find of Ferran Torres, kind of took it confidently. And I feel like for Ferran Torres, I do read less into his goal than I do for Ansu's, just because I felt like, you know, it's weird because Ansu had gone 13 games without scoring in the Liga, and Ferran Torres had gone 12. As much as we say Ansu is completely lost, numerically, Ferran Torres is also a bit, a bit lost, where it seems like because of his activity and those things, it feels like he's less lost, but yet he needed that goal just the same. And yet I do, you know, put more, not more, put less weight on that goal that Ferran scored against LJ. Yeah, of course. I think um, Ansu's situation is, is graver. Is it's worse than than Ferran Torres in that sense? I don't also think Ferran is going through a little bit of a psychological thing too. I mean, we've also seen him him admitting in front of the cameras uh, last year at the end of the towards the start of the season. You know that he wasn't going through his best moment, but he at least shows sometimes that he can do it and he actually does it you know he's had some good games this season some very good games in fact especially in terms of understanding what Chabi requires I think Ferran does that really well because he he has those movements that really uh, facilitate the other strikers like Lewandowski or or um, sorry the fullbacks coming in etc so in that sense Ferran is a really smart player in terms of knowing where to be what what to do so that's important for Chabi that he knows he can rely on that and in this sense he was also maybe missing that goal for his own confidence, even though he's been probably closer to goal. He's been assisting. He delivers some very good crosses usually because he has that capability and that always uh, proves that he he helps in a way or another. Of course, I still think that Ferran has to take a step forward in that sense. Also, he needs to provide more because uh, uh, Barca did pay a big sum of money for him and a lot of fans you know, require him to do so many more things. One of those scoring goals. I remember when he when he came to Barcelona, he he was pretty good in his first season. But then again, he had sometimes so that, those really uh, clear chances. He, he would he was missing. You know, I mean, he was actually generating them. He was in the right time, the right position. He was capable of being there, but he was just lacking the capability to uh, slot the ball past the goalkeeper and 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 finish those goals. And that's something that he's kind of dragged along the way during his time here at Barcelona. So for him to score goals, I think is also important. Also, he did it with his left foot, a lovely uh, curler there, which was uh, nice to see. And let's see if that also gives him a little bit more confidence going forward, because um we, Dembele, we never know when he's going to be back, you know. Rafinha, he's obviously very re- relevant to, to um, Xavi, but when Rafinha doesn't have his day, you need a guy like Ferran Torres to step up. So hopefully he finds that regularity in this game because he's had some, as I said, good matches, but he just doesn't have that continuity we all would uh, love him to have. Yeah, and that is a question too for Xavi for midweek against, well, midweek, in two days against Real Madrid. Like, will he start Lewandowski and Rafinha in front of a box four that would likely include Kessie, Gavi, Roberto, and Busquets in this in this instance. I think it's a little too soon for, for Eric Garcia. But all right, last topic here, Roman, before we go. I got a little bit of a hot take. I, I don't really do hot takes here. That's not the brand of the Barcelona podcast. But a little bit of a hot take here is usually, as people know, I cover La Masia. I do my updates. I tell you who to care about from the U16s, the U18s, U19s. I I give you the list. I try to see the best of the bunch and try to give you realistic expectations on these youngsters. And I've mentioned Alex Garrido. You can go back. He's in my updates for what? I think the last two years now since we've kind of known about him, since he was actually Gabby's midfield partner with the U16s, with Gabby playing 
as a four. I mean, it was incra- crazy. Like, Gavi was playing as a 14-year-old with the U16s, but you get the point. That Alex Garrido, that was his midfield partner at the time. And with the likes of Alarcon and Estanis Pedrola, Alex Garrido, and Pablo Torre all on the bench, of course, Xavi waited until the last 15 minutes to make those subs. And of course, like normal, people were getting a little bit hot on the collar and saying, hey, they're up for nothing. Xavi, this is the opportunity. This is the only chance that these youngsters are going to get to play for the first team, put them on the field. Why aren't they on the field? And again, usually I argue that it makes sense, like do that. And I think my hot take this time around is that I'm not really that bothered because kind of as I had mentioned with the pressure and all that stuff, we do not see Gabi being the age that he is. And we forget that Ansu is 20 years old. But Barcelona does have the third youngest squad in all of the league of this season at 25.5 years old. And a lot of those young players, I know Pedri is injured, but a lot of those young players, Balde was rotated because he has to start against Real Madrid midweek. They play, right? The young players do play. There yeah. are two teenagers who are in the starting 11 for Barcelona. Like in his Gala 11, there are two teenagers, one of which who just made the step up this year from Barca Athletic in, in Balde. And for Gabi, yeah, it might be year two, but <laughs> still, again, he's literally a child. So again, I know they were frustrated, but I think that getting that clean sheet and continuing to make history and continuing to have your way against Elche as Elche were at the end of the game kind of pushing for that goal, I think is much more important to Xavi than the 10 to 15 minutes of actual game time that Kool-Aid's, you know, they obviously want the opportunity to see Astanas. They want the opportunity to see Alex Garrido. They want the opportunity to see Pablo Torre. But Xavi sees them in training. He knows them. He mentioned this week that Pablo Torre has arguably the best set pieces on the team, which is a huge compliment. And that compliment itself in that press conference might be, do more for Pablo Torre's confidence than the 15 minutes that I think he was promised against LJ. Because that's what Pablo came. He came on almost when you'd expect that Xavi would have said, this is when, regardless of the scoreline, 2-1 or 4-0, you're coming on with 15 minutes to go. And then, of course, he hands out a debut. And I think he probably told Astana, who already has seen his debut this season, and Alas Garrido and Alakan, he probably said to them that, hey, depending on the way this game is going for the forwards and Alakan Astanas, here's when you would come on. And maybe that juncture never happened. Maybe he wanted to see more from XYZ or, hey, I wanted to get Kessie minutes. And that's why Vansu scores his goal. We'll bring him off and Kessie will come on. And that'll be the substitution pattern. Like, here's, you know, sorry, kids, I'm not taking off Lewandowski. And so that's kind of what they, so they knew that they weren't going to get minutes in a certain, in a certain way. And then Alex Garrido may have been told, hey, if we're up three, nothing, I want to throw you on for the last seven, eight minutes, and you're going to have your time. And I can tell you too, that Garrido, you mentioned, I mean, he mentioned it in the postgame presser that he was given that, hey, I was excited just the day to be on the bench. Like I was excited. And it is something to be said of a teenager to be on the bench, to take in that atmosphere, especially on the road, to be a part of the first team. That in itself is confidence enough for some players. And yes, you want to see him make that debut. And I think Xavi knew how important it was for him. But you could see in the seven minutes or eight, whatever he was on the field, Kessie and Lewandowski were kind of pointing at him. You could visually see Lewandowski point and say, hey, if you want to get the ball, go that way. Like, I need to occupy this space is for me in this moment. You find your spot over there. And so with older teammates kind of even pointing him in the right direction. Now, when he is with the U19s, because he, he's actually not a regular for Barca Athletic, he's finding himself with Barca Athletic in the spread. The spring has gone on, but he's played more matches this year with the U19s. You could tell that he was nervous. Like you could tell that the minute he got on the ball, though, with those final five minutes in the final third, the body language kind of changed. He finally kind of settled down. You could see him take that breath. 
But LJ could have got a goal before this young teenager was able to take that breath. And that's what Xavi didn't want. Xavi didn't want him to come on with 30 minutes to go. And then LJ finds the game. And then he's not ready for that moment. And then that kind of ruins his debut for him. It ruins the moment. Ter Stegen's all upset and frustrated. And the team is angry they didn't get the clean sheet when Araujo came off. Because it was important also to get Araujo a few minutes just to rest and make sure he's healthy for El Clasico. And those things are all the things that Xavi was trying to prioritize. And why, again, I'm not so mad that that I didn't see more Greedo because I've seen a bunch of Greedo this year. <laughs> and if he gets his moment, it won't be this season. It will be next season. So it was just a good moment to get a youngster debut and get a few minutes of rotation for players who will play in El Clasico and to get that, that clean sheet. And those things were all prioritized over what is five to six minutes for Alarcana Astanas. Because I can tell you, if Alarcana Astanas in the first team next year, it's because they earned it. It's because they went on that summer preseason tours and they earned it from Xavi. They got their minutes. They proved to Xavi that they don't need to bring in another attacker for, you know, who's 35 years old, just take minutes from Alarcana Astanas. And they were able to prove it then, as opposed to proving it against, as I go back to the first thing we talked about, only Elche or lowly Elche at, you know, in, in April of this season. Yeah, I mean, I can't but agree with you uh, with everything you said. In the end, we, we are seeing a lot of youth here in Barcelona. We have to also keep in mind where we're coming from. Um, and and t- taking that into account, we, we're really uh, counting on those younger players, uh, and like Gavi, Balde, etc., you know, because uh, let's not forget that not long ago, uh, we were barely seeing them with the first team. And then out of nowhere, now they're, they're practically starters for us, you know. And for a player like Alex Garrido to have this opportunity to debut is always fantastic. And, and as fans of, of, of Barca and, and the way that uh, we like to develop the young, youngsters, we always love to see these new players, uh, you know, come up and, and get their opportunities. But, you know, it's, it's not necessary sometimes to, to rush things too, too, too much. Uh, let's not forget that Xavi himself came from the youth system for him it was a tough start at Barcelona when he was a youngster it took him quite a while to actually be recognized as a very important player for the club so uh, keeping that in mind I'm sure that Xavi really knows what he's doing you know he doesn't want to rush things he doesn't want any players to find themselves in awkward situations and if he has to play just five minutes even though they're 4-0 up well he'll do that you know he wants to make sure everything is done in in, in the right manner and as you said Garrido was super happy anyway to debut after the 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 game he was so grateful to the club for all these all this time he's been because let's not forget he arrived at, in 2012 it's been a very long time and to get his chance to have just a few minutes was uh, was fantastic and you can tell that on the field as you said he was slightly nervous but you know he was giving his everything as as any youngster would when when you get the opportunity to wear the shirt they've they've always dreamed of wearing so hopefully we'll see more of him in the future maybe if if this gap continues and uh, if that record those records you were mentioning are not too far off he might get a few minutes uh, of course he will be careful because uh, it is quite historic if Barca can achieve uh, those very few conceded goals uh, they have so far this season which hasn't been seen before in La Liga and also the the objective of maybe reaching the 100 points or something like that so we'll have to see if that is a factor in Xavi deciding whether uh, he plays these youngsters or not but I'm sure that if we keep this this gap with Real Madrid uh, they will get a few minutes uh, toward the end, of the, uh, the end of the games and as you said the key will be next season where, where, where they might uh, get uh, bigger opportunities and more more uh, chances to debut if they carry on doing as well as they are with, with Barca's B team so we'll have to see and keep an eye on on Garrido but as you said always great to see these little uh, these little guys I was going to say these youngsters have their opportunity because that's what Barca is all about in the end yeah I mean for those who are wondering oh well can this guy ever figure it out or 
when is this kid getting his opportunity? But now I do take you all the way back to the 2003-04 season when there, it was Frank Reichardt in charge. He, he was kind of a, a fresher face, newer on the job. Lee Van Hall had just seen the door. And there was a young player, a teenager. I think, but I believe he was 19 at the time, maybe 18 at the time. Very similar to Alex Guido. And his name was Anderson Iniesta. And he was, and I kid you not, a phone call away from going to Rangers on loan. And if he goes to Rangers on loan, that is one of those revolving doors that, yes, he's come, yes, he'll come back. Obviously, also weird at the time that a, a Spanish player would be going to Scotland. I know it seems crazy now, but in that day, Mikel Arteta, who was 20 years old, was already at Rangers and had already just left La Masia for Rangers and was also kind of saying as a 20 year old, hey, you know, Iniesta, you'll be fine. I'll take you in over here. And remember, Iniesta had always had trouble leaving home from the first time when he went to La Masia. So for him to then make a jump to Scotland would have been something for him. And whether it was nerves or also an ability to or a desire to fight for his spot in Barcelona, he decided to stay. And of course, then what is it? The next season, he makes nine appearances for the first team. And then by 04-05, he's a regular in the team or reverse that. That season, he makes nine appearances. Then the next season becomes a regular in 04-05 coming off the bench, I think in 23 starts as well, and makes a bunch of appearances. But anyway, the point is that with all of these young players, we don't know. We Even Pablo Torre, like this is not a lost year for him. And Xavi and Pablo Torre himself are kind of pushing back on that and saying, I have learned a lot. I'm acclimating. It's very difficult to acclimate. So I would always say that, again, not every player, and we know this, not every player is Gabi or Pedri and even Balde. Like Balde, I was scared for and I've mentioned many times on this podcast, he figured it out. So for Garrido, what is his ceiling? I'm actually not sure. If anything, I would trust that one of Pablo Torre or Alice Garrido as an attacking midfielder will figure something out. But Barcelona could find a way, we'll say maybe next January or next summer, to bring in some kind of Bernardo Silva or whoever. Or if Messi returns, like who knows where he'll play, right? And then you can say that their career is over with one signing. Their, their Barcelona time, I should say, is, is finito just because of one signing. So whether or not the club trusts them and whether or not there's an opportunity for them, we'll have to figure out for next year. But I think, as I said, for people having the opportunity to understand that not opportunities are, are it's about timing or, or that they're all equal. And Iniesta made his own opportunity and it worked out for him. We'll have to see if these young players do that. Well, though, Roman, as we kind of end this show, where can people have the opportunity to listen and find more of your work? And of course, what's going on at Liga Lowdown? Well, yeah, basically uh, we have our Twitter account at La Liga Lowdown or my personal Twitter account, which is uh, Aeroslave with double E at the end. And we're also now very um, active on Substack, lllonline.substack.com. There we're writing articles on a daily basis, also um, sharing pods on La Liga, of course, all, all teams, not just Barca, uh, Madrid, uh, smaller teams, Elche, etc. So that's always good to have. And uh, th- those are basically where you can find us. All right. Sounds great. So again, you can also find Thank us you. the Barcelona Podcast across all the different platforms. Again, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube, and the merch store as well. The link is down below. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.